Hi everyone, welcome to the De-Risk Podcast, Episode 7, Global Expansion. On this week's episode, I interview Charles Ferguson from Globalization Partners, all about the risks and things to consider for global expansion. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, I have Charles Ferguson with me here for today's episode's interview. Charles is the general manager of Globalization Partners Business in Asia. Globalization Partners flattens barriers to global business by making it easy for companies to hire employees anywhere in the world within a few business days. Charles is responsible for establishing scale and efficiency for GPs and their clients' business expansion here in Asia. Welcome, Charles, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ruth. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you here today uh, to talk about risks when it comes to global expansion. And as you know, de-risk is all about discussing different sorts of risks that can derail startups. And I'm sure there's a, quite a bit to discuss when it comes to <laughs> moving to new markets and moving abroad. So That's maybe right. to kick things off, Charles, when or what stage do you think startups should be seriously considering regional or global expansion? So it's a great question. It's one that uh, lots of folks um, speak to me about when they're exploring kind of the steps that are required as they start to explore, uh, you know, even if it's the first time foray into a new market to just do a little business development or kick the tires. They're, they're always curious about how do I know, you know, when, when is the right time? Um, the, the horrible answer is the, the classic MBA answer, which is it depends, right? <laughs> um, but but let me let me qualify that a little bit. So clearly, it's going to depend upon what the intention is for you to expand into a new market. Now, nine times out of ten, the expansion portion of a company's strategy is the exciting, you know, air quotes, sexy side of the business. It's like, hey, I've I've explored my local market. I've I have uh, proven my model. Um, it's been successful. Indications are that this will scale appropriately into market X. So I'm going to go ahead and, and give it a go. There are so many steps that need to be considered and thoughtfully executed before you make that leap in order to ensure success that I often tell companies that, you know, the, the first inkling that you have a desire to go to your market means it's time to start the process, but you should never jump into a new market until you've done a significant amount of due diligence, particularly these days, where due diligence can be um, construed both as a positive thing and a, and a, and a potentially a, a frustrating thing. And I, and I say that because due diligence on a particular market can uncover areas of, of risk that you can you know, put plans in place to mitigate, it can also put in place um, avenues towards new opportunity that you didn't know actually existed. Example would be government uh, subsidies that you could tap into that can make that landing in that new country a lot softer, right? So there, there are a lot of different um, steps that you should take. Um, the, the, you know, is it time to scale or not to scale? Clearly, there are tried and true uh, areas that you need to explore. Um, it's never easy. It's never straightforward. 
Um, I, I was talking to someone recently in, in, a, in a, uh, another interview with, with Tech in Asia about the fact that it does not happen by accident. It is a planned exercise. And understanding, you know, will my product market fit generate momentum for me in this particular uh, marketplace? Is the demand really there? Or am I making assumptions? Absolutely, um, do I have the right level of control over my cash flow? Uh, my flow to debt ratios and my cash position are uh, appropriately set up so that I can at least have some run rate and, and a little bit of burn. Um, and third, unquestionably, and this is where you know uh, companies like, like ours come into place as an example, is ensuring that you have the right people in place um, to, uh, to, 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 to support you and to help you to grow. If you have those three key elements, you're ready to start the process. You're not ready to jump into the market, but you're ready to start the process. Right, so can you just repeat the three things that you just highlighted that um, are kind of key before you start thinking about seriously moving to a new park? So I heard cash flow, the right, uh, the right yeah. people, and what was the third one? Um, it's it's the classic product market fit. Product you know? market fit, right? And, and you know, folk, folks, um, because we when, when we do our startups, we become passionately myopic. I call it, and and passionate myopia is 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 a, a manifestation of you become so wrapped up as a founder or as a as a, as a you know founding member of a company that you you sometimes miss the forest for the trees, right? And you think, my God, this works so beautifully in my in my uh, founding market, in my in my in my mothership. I absolutely am passionately convinced that this is going to fit in Indonesia for whatever reason, right? Or Vietnam or the next market you choose to go to. There's a high degree of due diligence that you need to go through in order to ensure that it's going to work, and and it starts with you know exploring um, partnerships and understanding what the partners are seeing in the market on the local level. Um, it involves um, reaching out to uh, uh, startup incubators, um, uh, you know, accelerators in the marketplace, venture capital uh, providers to kind of get a pulse for the market. It means desktop research, you know, doing some uh, general search about folks that would be your competitors in that marketplace and understanding the news and and different sorts of go-to-market strategies that they're deploying in those marketplaces. It absolutely means reaching out to potential talent um, and, and you know, kind of interviewing them, um, both with the intent of potentially bringing folks on board, but also with the intent of kind of gaining intelligence locally and understanding what's going on. Um, those sorts of, oh, oh, and I, I missed the most important thing, which is talk to some customers of these types of services. Or, or even potential customers of these types of services. And, and in your own domestic market, you know, across uh, ASEAN, as an example, well over 80% of the companies in the SME segment are by default multinationals, which means, first of all, that MNC is not a proxy for size, right? Um, you can have operations in more than one jurisdiction, and therefore, by de definition, you're a multinational operation. It's very probable that the company that you're enjoying uh, providing services to in your own domestic market does have an operation in another area, another country. And so it's always great to talk to your own customers and ascertain do they see value in what you're providing 
as being applicable in the other country that they operate in. So just gathering up that information, um, the, the governments are so competitive, particularly in, in Asia-Pac, uh, about attracting um, you know, new economy, um, uh, providing grants, um, loans, matchmaking, um, access to incubators, uh, the, the whole gamut um, that they very often will have a, a foreign direct investment arm that offers tons of free information about the market, about the competitive landscape, about product market fit um, that you should without question be leveraging. And they, they're actually gold to specifically provide that information. Their KPIs are the number of engagements that they have with, with interested companies. So they want you to, to reach out to them and get the information. So all of this is uh, part and parcel of the type of work that you should be putting into effort. And as we move this conversation forward, then we can talk about risk mitigation, which is really you know, uh, about compliance and about protecting yourself after you've chosen a particular market. Right. Um, just want to quickly just jump in here because yeah. it sounds a lot from you that it's a lot about, it's a planned exercise, you said. There's a lot of um, thinking and consideration that needs to go into this before even taking that step. And, yeah. and I guess, you know, it, just reflecting on my own journey as yes. a founder um, as a, in a startup and um, I'm very much taking the approach of small experiments here and there. Um, you know, Absolutely. and we you know we're in our Singapore market where we're doing little different experiments, and it's all about just trying to see what what works. Um, and and so, what, when you were talking about, you know, it's a planned exercise, lots to consider. It's very different to how we're running our business right now. Um, I guess um, what you're saying, it's a, it's a really big deal, right? Because yeah. moving into a new market is huge, and and I do want to ask, when we talk about expanding to um, the regional or global footprint, here we're really talking about setting up an office or having boots on the ground in this other country, right? That's Where right. there are other models like SaaS companies that can suddenly open up and start selling whatever tech product uh, service it is. Um, via their platform and, and for certain companies I suppose it's much easier to broaden their horizons um, across the region across the globe right precisely correct and that's that's you know again goes back to my original premise of air quotes it depends right so yeah. there are tons of companies in fact my, my firm works with a ton of companies that are using this approach of hey we're not ready yet to go all the way down the path of you know, planting a flag, per se. We're curious to just acid test for a couple of quarters or a year just to see what the appetite might be for our firm's uh, success in a particular market. And, and to your point, regardless of whether you're, you're a SaaS company or you're a traditional firm or you know, you're a services company or whatever, um, putting somebody in the market is always a great way to test that market and certainly it's always a, a bright idea to hire a local um, talent within the, the chosen market to help you to 
plug into the network. I mean, as we all know, particularly in Asia Pacific, it's a high context um, uh, environment. Culturally, you need relationships and and certainly having somebody uh, on the ground is, is helpful. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, that having that person on the ground is not predicated upon you having an entity structure in place or all the accoutrements that are uh, requisite um, to, to ensure compliance. You can use other models. The employer of record model um, that we deploy is, is a model um, that obviously works exceptionally well, and we have a lot of clients that use that model. Um, when you go into these types of markets and you start to sell things, you do need to have some advice from, uh, uh, you know, uh, attorneys or, or tax advisors, etc., because you want to avoid the taxable events, permanent establishment risk, etc. Right. You have to be very careful. It's not just you know, oh, we'll just—it's a SaaS product. It's online, so we'll just sell it and see what happens, right? Yeah. And you need to, if you really want to take the the, the role seriously of, of expanding into a country, you need to kind of at least have the lay of the land. And, and by the way, it sounds like all the boring stuff, but it's critical, you know, accounting, tax, compliance. For um, sure. You know, when, when, when you talk about the exciting, heady phases of building out a business and going for, for you know, new stuff, doing onesie twosies and just kind of seeing if you can get something going, doing some marketing and stuff, that's fine. Like, no one's going to come after you, right? But if you really start to kind of shift out of first gear to second gear and apply some petrol, you do need to take these things into consideration. Got um, it. Start planning for them. So why don't we um, talk a little bit now about what are these risks that you think are there and when companies do start moving regionally and globally in their expansion plans? So you mentioned something about... Um, tax, accounting, so there's compliance-related regulatory risks, I suppose. Um, are there any other key risks that you want to highlight that people should be aware of? Um, look, I mean, <laughs> not to sound like a sycophant here, but insurance is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that flippantly. Let, let, me, let me be specific. So right now, because of the global pandemic, and, and, and let me, before I get to the pandemic topic, which is, can be wide ranging, let me go back in time. Let's talk about what happened um, in 2007, 2008, when the great financial crisis happened, right? So we're talking, you know, 13, 12, 13 years ago when uh, the GFC struck markets around the world, um, you know, uh, contracted significantly and really internalized. And they built these ring fences around these markets to first of all, get their own houses in order. And then slowly but surely they tried to find safe and compliant routes back to plug into the global financial system. During that time, um, just within the first year of the GFC kind of being settled. So let's say 2008, 2009, um, settled in the sense that, you know, we came out from the bunkers to see what wasteland we were inhabiting. Right well over 15,000 unique pieces of regulatory change were enacted around the world related to new approaches to uh, compliance restriction directly related to, to the, the GFC. That hasn't slowed down. If anything, it's kind of in intensified. Um, woven into that are a myriad of, of regulations and areas um, and, and laws that need to be taken into consideration. If I, if I fast forward that to today, we talk about 
you know, the, the, the COVID situation, it's kind of a, um, another example of how countries are addressing the impact on their nation. And in relation to that, it's the creation of job opportunities for their local citizens. Woven into that narrative are challenges that come up when, if I'm a, a an overseas company and I'm establishing uh, some form of business in a new country, and I have a workplace that I've put in place, and I have new employees um, either through an employer of record model like what we provide, which doesn't necessarily mean you need a, an entity in the in the country, but let's just say they're using our service and they they go to a service office environment and they start to. Um, have their folks work there, what are the regulations around um, exposure to COVID-19 um, if, if your employee in a foreign country gets exposed because the workplace that you have set up is not compliantly being operated to address the regulations protecting workers' exposure to COVID. If you don't have those things put into place, you're going to have a whole host of different sorts of challenges, you know, from from uh, you know legal risk, um, uh, you know, being sued. It's sort of, sort of back to the the example I was using with insurance. You absolutely, from a director's perspective, you need DNO insurance in place to protect yourself from that. Obviously, um, you need you know the the and, and how to avoid some of that risk um, earlier in the cycle is by having a a, a locally compliant you know, employer of record vehicle that helps you to employ your uh, uh, employees until such time as you're ready to pull the trigger on an entity um, and set up in that country. Those are just some very, that's granular, Ruth, I realize that's yeah. very fine-tooth comb example, but it's, you you can you can be blacklisted, kicked out of the country and sued if you didn't right. have that set up properly, right? right? And that's certainly not something you want to deal with at a, at, a, at a younger stage of development as a startup, right? Right, and I suppose, I mean, most of our listeners are Singapore-based, we've got a pretty good legal structure here, you know, rule of law, all those yes. things here. Yes. Some of the neighboring countries in the region are not so well established in that regard, and, and yes. getting um, a lawsuit there or some sort of fine or penalty could be pretty detrimental on a personal yeah. level as well, right? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, again, not to be uh, Captain Bringdown or, or you know, uh, the, the, the doomsayer, but um, just think about this kind of story as well. Some countries you mentioned, and I, I'm not going to, you know, indict any particular country, but there are they're, they're they're emerging, so they're on the growth trajectories, and their regulations are changing on a daily basis across a whole litany of different, um, you know, uh, uh, legal compliance um, uh, areas, from labor law through to insurance requirements through to you know uh, uh, tax compliance, etc. Ad nauseum. What's mandated? What's not? What's social benefits administration? Um, uh, you know, nice to have versus voluntary versus, you know, it's, it's very complex. Yeah. So let's just say that you, you decide to jump over all these areas and just go straight for it and set up your entity, paid up capital, open bank accounts, et cetera. It takes like, let's call it six to 12 months and you're all set up, you're ready to rock. You go through your process and you find that this country actually does not deliver on what you assumed was going to happen. 
with respect to the ROI, the return on your investment. So you decide, okay, I'm going to unwind this structure. Well, guess what? If you thought setting up was challenging, wait until you try to unwind a legal entity in one of these countries. Wait until you try to go through the process of extricating yourself from the various ministries and certifications and getting your paid up capital pulled out, all the things you had to do in order to get set up in the first place. If it doesn't go well and you've got to pull the plug, good luck in some of these instances because it can take a huge amount of time, effort, and money. And, you know, we have companies that we work with that have, you know, gone in, then pulled out, and they're working two years later trying to unwind the structures. Um, and uh, if you don't do that compliantly and, and, and with a high degree of finesse, that can also blacklist you. So if that country didn't work this time around, you want to go back a second time around, you can encounter artifacts um, that, that you know, can present significant challenge. What's the, the people and data risk, data protection um, uh, areas that you're going to encounter in these particular countries? I mean, I could go on and on and on. Taxation systems, um, good, good Lord, you know? Right. I mean, you're right. There's a whole gamut of things that need to be considered. And, and obviously, it's not something you rush into. And that, that's kind of like the message I'm getting from you. Yeah. So how, how can startups, um, what's the best way for them to mitigate this? Is it, and I heard you mention something about explore partnerships, um, you know, is it really finding a partner who can help them, who understands all the intricacies of the different laws um, and regulations? Is, is that the best way? Like, um, how, how would you recommend startups who are really considering it because, you know, they've done the market research, they're yep. ready to go? What what would you recommend for them? Look, I, I, I think that particularly given, uh, I'll, I'll try not to be too self-serving in my comment, but let me, let me just explain to you my, my perspective would be the following. If, if you're looking at the world through the lens of, of where we're all operating right now, and as evidenced by the fact that you and I are talking uh, you know, over the internet and, and doing this, this podcast, the whole world has gone completely remote, right? So it doesn't necessarily matter if your talent today exists in your home country or in, in another country. Where um, the risks start to become exposed, when you, you know, if you want to hire someone in a foreign country, you have, by right, you need some kind of a presence in that country, lest you go after the more traditional model of the independent contractor or the staffing agency model, et cetera. And again, not to beat the dead horse, but that's exposing you to permanent establishment risk. It's exposing you to misclassification risk and thus tax events that can bring about a whole world of pain and hurt. So before you go down that path, a very good way to mitigate some of these risks is to indeed reach out to a partner. Now, I would say to you that you know there, just sit back down and think about when I set you know I'm I'm Mr. or Mrs. Founder. When I set up my original business, there were some very basic things I needed to kind of digest in order to understand how this business could be successful and how I could entice markets to invest in me, either angels or friends and family or VC or incubator, whatever it is, whatever stage you're at, there's a level of, you know, infrastructure you have to have in place in order to be successful. So are there ways and means by which I can outsource some of that um, as I'm taking a higher degree of exposure by going into a country where I'm not physically located or I don't have experience in expanding in before? 
And the answer is yes. So the answer really is advice would be sit down and list out, you know, all of the possible areas that you have encountered. Well, first of all, all the ones you've encountered in the country you've set up in already. Um, uh, and then all of the areas that you need to, um, if you were going to do it hand to heart by yourself, what are the things you would need to, to look at? Once you have that list done, then I would strongly suggest you say, what are the areas where I know these are core um, IP, like I need to own these things because these are going to be you know, differentiators for me as I grow and move forward. What are the areas that I don't necessarily require that I can outsource to a potential partner um, to help me to, to overcome? And in that regard, you know, um, as it relates to, to what we do, as an example, there are areas of HR that you absolutely positively must have internal. Things like, you know, um, talent management, employee engagement, um, you know, strategic workforce planning, culture. These, frankly, are some of the best differentiators you can have as a company as you move forward because the access to technology these days is ubiquitous. People can very quickly jockey for position against you with respect to, you know, feature functionality of different products, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the, the way that you um, maintain a competitive edge by having the best people to execute your strategy and bring your products and services to market and support your clients, right? So that's that's something you don't want to outsource. However, there are parts of HR that are administrivia, right, or administration-based or personnel management aspects like payroll, like onboarding, like um, benefits administration, expense management, things of this nature. You absolutely should be outsourcing that. And when it comes to things like, you know, are you going to go out and hire uh, right off the bat a chief risk officer? Depends on what company you're in. But if I was looking at like insurance to to help protect me as I go into a new market, I'd absolutely be reaching out to a partner. Um, if I was looking at you know legal forms or uh, you know um, structures in order to help me to be compliant to local you know nuance, I'd be reaching out to a partner. Even something as basic, Ruth, is like, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to the, the, the Vietnamese market. I feel like it might be dangerous for me to just take my company brochure and use Google Translate into Vietnamese because I'm not completely convinced that that would be nuanced enough. I need to find a local partner to help me with my marketing to make sure that I'm you know, uh, contextually accurate when I bring my, my Vietnamese product to the Vietnamese market, right, as an example. Yeah. You need to think... Clearly, and that's why I said earlier about planning. I'm not saying you have to be like pedantic and you know retentive about the entire process. You got to be logical. Set yourself up for success. Ask for help. That's the whole thing. I see so many startups think I got this, and you do got this, but it doesn't hurt to reach out and ask for help. For sure. Thank you. I'm just conscious of time here, so I feel like we need to wrap up. Um, thank you so much. I think this was a really good insight into the things startups really need to consider. Um, you brought up so many good points of many intricate things that, that could happen. And um, it is a little daunting, to be honest, hearing you talk about it. Um, but I like how you brought it back at the end that, you know, understand what your core, what is core to your IP and really find partners to help you out. Because you're right, we all, we all can't do everything. Um, we're not super, superhumans so we need to find what's 
really, really core to the business, core to the IP, and find the right partners in place to help with the expansion and to actually help mitigate these risks, right? That's exactly right. And, and to close off, let me just say, I hope I didn't scare folks, but you know, global expansion is, is good. Going into the market is good. And, and all of you out there, you're absolutely capable of doing it. When I talk about all these areas, all I'm saying is set yourself up for success, right? Don't don't uh, don't be a, a plank on the boardwalk of broken dreams, right? Um, get get it done properly before you make the, the leap, and you'll you'll be gold, you know. And and we're all here to help you. Like that that's it's within all our best interests to see these companies be successful. So I wish you best of luck. Thank you so much, Charles. I love that. Let's set everyone up for success. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll speak to you next time on the next episode of G-Risk.